Again, welcome everyone to Sunday service here at Ananda Village, and we're in the expanding light temple because we are without power and quickly had to move across the meadow from the temple of light to the older temple. I'd like to read from, from Rays of the One Light. Well, let me first introduce us. I'm Nayaswami Parvati, this is Nayaswami Pranaba, and we're very happy to share this Sunday service with you. So reading from Rays of the One Light, this week the title is The Mystery of Avatara or Divine Incarnation. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, as we saw last week, O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. What is the mystery of this divine manifestation? Great avatars such as Krishna and Jesus Christ are born as babies, even as we all are. They take human form and go through normal human experiences as they grow from childhood to adulthood. They eat, they play, they may seem to suffer sickness and disappointment like the rest of us. In what way are they different from other human beings? The important thing to understand is that even as they are like us, so we also are like them. Their realization can be ours too. They come on earth to show us our own divine potential. The difference lies not in the manner of their manifestation on earth, but in the consciousness with which they are born. All things are condensation, so to speak, of the cosmic vibration, Om, described by St. John's Gospel as the Word. Most human beings, however, are unconscious of their divine origin. The avatars, on the other hand, come consciously as manifestations of that divine reality. As the Gospel says in the first chapter, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. So this morning here in our area in Northern California, it's pretty cool. And as Parvati mentioned that we have a power outage in our local area. So that's, as she said, why we've shifted over from the Temple of Light Sanctuary to the Expanding Light Temple Sanctuary. I just want to give a real deep appreciation for our tech team, our setup team, and our musicians, because it's cold. Uh, and uh, I was just sitting during this meditation 
hoping my teeth weren't going to chatter when I started to talk. So uh, bear with me if they do start chattering. So. Yeah, and because of, because of the power, and we're on a generator here at the Expanding Light uh, Temple, uh, it doesn't allow for the, uh, the surge of energy that needs to happen to produce heat for us. So this is like the good old days, except these are the good days. Usually we begin our Sunday service, um, or the talk part, reading from Paramahansa Yogananda's Book of Prayer Demands, Whispers from Eternity. But I'd like to read to you today from Paramahansa Yogananda's book of poems, Songs of the Soul, with a special poem that recently Nayaswami Devi included in her Touch of Light blog. It's a very short one, so pay attention. Its title is, They Are Thine. I have nothing to offer thee, for all things are thine. I grieve not that I cannot give, for nothing is mine, nothing is mine. Here I lay at thy feet my limbs, my life, my thoughts and speech. For they are thine, for they are thine. Very sweet words from our guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. When we explore the focus of avatar, it's nice to have the broader cosmic perspective as well as the personal perspective. Both of these allow us to open up and delve into a deeper understanding and a deeper experience. When we understand that the soul's destiny for each one of us is to return back to its home in divine consciousness, into oneness with God, then we can see how that unfolds for each one of us, and we can see that through the, the examples, the, the models, the, the grace coming through those great ones. For all of us, as we open up and explore, we start to grow spiritually. We experience self-realization, that realization of the true self, which is the individual aspect, the soul is that individual aspect of spirit. And as we grow in that experience, we start to shed the attachments and shed the karma of what we've brought with us in delusion, in the pulls of duality. And as we grow in this inner realization, we arrive at the point where we are free inside of ourselves, even while living in these bodies. And this is the term referred to as being a jivan mukta in spiritual consciousness. And in this experience, we are freed from any more karma being attached to us because we don't have the ego predominating who we are in our experience of being alive in this world. There's no, as Swami Kriyananda said, there's no 
posts for that ego to latch itself onto. So we no longer can accrue karma when we have that experience of being a jivan mukta. And that's a permanent experience. It isn't as if it comes and it goes. What remains, though, is past karma. It still is there. And it's the vestiges of that karma that remain with us. It's, it's said in one way of understanding it, we have a memory of that past karma that stays with us. You know, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, in the first pada, the first part of the first of the four parts of the sutras, he talks about the vrittis, the obstacles that prevent us from being who we are, from really feeling our oneness as our true experience. And one of them is memory. And the word in Sanskrit is smriti. Now, smriti does mean several things. And the way that normally we use it is more to do with divine memory. But it's in, in its initial usage in the sutras, it is a vritti, it is an obstacle. And it relates to this idea that we have the memory of the past that holds us back, that holds us down from really attaining the true nature of who we are. But for the Jivan Mukta, this past memory of past karma really doesn't affect the soul anymore. And it can be gone in an instant if that's what is the, the right thing for that soul in God. Or it may take some time, but it has no effect anymore. But once that past karma is also released and there is no vestige of memory of that karma, then one arrives at the point of being a paramukta or a siddha. And this is where there is that oneness in God completely without any, any, any at all um, reservations or tentacles of keeping us bound in any way. And in a sense, this is really the stage of being an ascendant master. And when that ascendant master, a paramukta siddha, leaves the body and goes to be in that kingdom of heaven with the divine, then there are those great masters that because of great compassion, because of great support for humankind, choose to be reincarnated and come to bring that solace and more than solace, the divine support and grace to overcome all evil, all delusion. And this is what's referred to, uh, as we heard in the reading, of an avatar. An avatar is the descent of the divine into human form again, for the redemption of all mankind. I was talking to someone quite a few years ago who had been involved in other spiritual paths and had uh, understood the approach that was taken there and the emphasis in, in the, the one path that she had been a part of. Um, they referred to ascended masters. And so she asked me a good question. She asked me, so the five masters you have on your altar, are they ascended masters? And I kind of laughed in a good way, good-heartedly way, and said, actually, they're descended masters. 
Um, and it, it's an interesting but important distinction because it's said by our guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, and Swami Kriyananda emphasized this, that an ascendant master is a powerful force of the divine, but can only bring so many other deep devotees to their oneness in God. Whereas an avatar, that descendant master, can bring thousands, millions of people back into the oneness in God. And this is important for us, for us to recognize that the avatars have a mission broader and deeper as the purest expression without any contaminants, without any sheets of delusion, without any ego, of being pure in God. And that purity allows all of mankind to be uplifted, um, whether one follows one path or another. For us, associated with self-realization and ananda, we follow these five gurus who have ascended and have descended as avatars into the experience that we can touch on and be real. And this is the personal side that becomes very, very important and significant for all of us, is that we too have the, the conscious choice to move in that direction. Paramahansa Yogananda said, and Swami Kriyananda reiterated this numerous times when he was in his body to many of us in different ways that we should endeavor in this lifetime to arrive at the point of being jivan muktas, to be freed while living. That's a powerful encouragement. But I think he also had said it to those that were open to hearing this as a powerful commandment, as something for us to take on to move through the world of delusion, of duality, to move through the pull of the ego, the ego-motivated desires. And whether we fail or succeed, we can always move forward if we choose to do so and really take that on as the goal in life before us. As Parvati mentioned, earlier this morning that our great friend and guru by Naiswami Anandi left her body shortly after one o'clock California time. And I had gone to bed very early uh, last evening, last night, and so didn't know about it until uh, I woke up shortly before five o'clock and heard uh, Naiswami Devi's message to all of us that uh, Anandi had passed. And then I heard a message from Nayaswami Bharat, Devi, uh, Anandi's husband, likewise saying uh, the situation. And so when Parvati awoke, uh, not that long after I awoke, we decided to, to see if we could go over to Anandi and Bharat's house, which isn't very far from the house that we live in, and um, to be in the presence of Anandi's form. And so we got there, knocked on the door. There was no response because it was 5.15 in the morning, I think, 5.20. Um, but we, so we entered quietly in, 
and the lights were on in the house. And so we, and we had brought some special uh, petals, rose petals, some from previous Kriya initiations and some rose petals from, um, that were sprinkled on Swami Kriyananda's um, bed where he passed away in his body over in his, in his house in Ananda Sisi. And we sprinkled these on Anandi's form. And it was that mixture of sadness and, and joy, of the lightness, the freedom. But we, didn't, we just meditated a little bit standing there, feeling that grace, feeling that blessing. And then we walked a few minutes back to our house, and we then meditated. Uh, it was time for our normal meditation, so that, that was what we did. And I remember clearly the feeling I had at that point was a disturbance, a disturbance in my life force, in a sense. I could feel um, I was agitated. There, you know, obviously from, um, from this sadness of Anandi's passing. But almost instantaneously, as I, I prayed and then I started to go into the techniques, that I could feel a deeper calmness than I've ever felt for a long, long time. It just felt there was that grace of this blessing that we are available to tune into at these special times, these special points. And this is really the, the gift that we're given in life, is that we always need to keep in mind we can return to our true nature. That deep calmness that I felt. Is the calmness true to all of us? It's not something we're adding to our experience. We're allowing ourselves to be in it. We're diving into it more and more. And I could feel, as I kept the image of Naiswami Anandi in my mind, I could feel her with me in that meditation. Not as a profound experience, but very real, very interiorized, very touching. And in that I felt, because I prepared for this Sunday service, the topic was in my mind as well, to a little bit of, of degree, I could feel that this is how we can move in that direction. Anandi gave her life completely to God and Guru and to Divine Mother and to Swamiji and Ananda. And for me, it felt like that is that important direction, that important emphasis of becoming a Jivan Mukta, that freedom, that openness of just God alone. And that exists for us because we offer our limbs, our speech, everything, because all is thine, dear Lord, all is thine. And for each one of us in this special time to feel the blessings and to be instruments of blessings to others. God bless you. Draw near, my Lord. Is